Good morning. Hasn't the music been especially great this morning? I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, and I'm reading from the NIV translation. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I was going to mention that as well, Amy. I think the uh, worship has been fantastic, not just because it's your family that are doing a whole lot of it, but because it's been wonderful and it's great uh, to see um, uh, Flynn up for the first time playing the trombone. How good is that? How good is that? And Kayleen, it's great to see you up in the first time as well. Um, as well. So we got, we had, in our, our small little house, we had, what, 50 people of the worship team, and that's not all of them, uh, over for some afternoon tea last week. Um, it's, a, it's a growing group. Um, if you've got that hidden talent, I'll tell you what, I'm looking for a mouth organ. I'm thinking that'd be pretty cool. And a banjo, and a banjo. So if someone wants to take up these things, Solara would love, Solara and Ellen would love to hear from you. Uh, um, we're going through a series uh, around belonging and what it means to belong as the people of God together. And so this morning, uh, while we're looking at belonging, we're also looking at our four foundation statements that I uh, alluded to earlier. And one of them that we're going to really look at this morning is building bridges to community. How can we as a body of Christ build bridges into our community and help bring a sense of belonging to community. Uh, some of you might have read last year the newsletters that, that uh, Keith and Jamie Tidd put together, um, the Building Bridges to Community. Uh, does anyone remember those? They were fantastic ways of hearing stories and reading some stories about what's going on in and through the church community that link from here to there as such. They're wonderful. They're really good. A very, very good way of uh, helping to sort of bridge the chasm, and it sometimes seems like a really big chasm between church and community. It seems like a big chasm, doesn't it? It seems like there is a big gap at times between the church and what happens in community, and the chasm seems larger than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. No longer can the church assume it has a seat at the table at the local council or the local strategic planning uh, event, or, or running an event, or being part of the local council events. It wasn't long ago that the church was the one that the, the community ran to and relied on for events, Carol's events, for when disaster struck. They were the ones that the, the church was leaned on, when aid was needed. It's not as much anymore. Steve McAlpine, in his, uh, if you haven't read this book, it's worth getting. It's called Being the Bad Guys. It, it talks a little bit about how the church was once the good guys and now, now society sees it a little bit more as the bad guys. He says this, It seems indisputable that, church's role, that the church's role in our culture is shifting from central to marginal. I don't think we'll be surprised at that statement. I don't think anyone would be surprised at that statement. It used to be a central point. 200 years ago in England, the church was built into the centre of the community. That's what, where it was built. Now 
What's central to community? Maybe the footy club, the shopping centres, maybe a school. The reality is setting in and what that reality looks like is really unknown. What does it look like for the church to be on the margin? For a culture that has only known centrality of Christian faith to the cultural elimination of Christianity that might be coming into the future, the church is really stepping into uncharted waters. If we're not already there, maybe we're already starting to be in the depths of the ocean. But what does it mean for the church who's seeking to find belonging as individuals in a church? What does it mean to belong to a church uh, in a society that doesn't value the church as it once did? What does it mean for us, people who are trying to seek to serve Jesus in the best ways possible, seeking to bridge the gap between the church and community? And when I say community, it's the church and the, the elderly lady that lives across the road. Or the heavenly tattooed busker that you cross the street for because you're a little worried about him, or to the Muslim couple who, who, who serve you at the local shop. What does it mean to bridge that gap? So this morning we're going to try and unpack that through an understanding of, of, of uh, looking at what it means to, to love boldly, to, to welcome warmly, and to stand firmly, as we've just heard out of the reading from Hebrews chapter 13. It was really good for, uh, for me to be able to have a three-point sermon. The scriptures worked really well this time, so I can just have three points. It makes it nice and simple for us. <laughs> the book of Hebrews, it's a, a very rich book, and if you haven't read it recently, it's worth going through and reading it. It links the Old and New Testaments together quite well by recognizing that Jesus surpasses all others. It surpasses all other people, all other, all other pursuits, all other objects, all other hopes. Uh, to which we sort of try and grab hold to. Like Chuck Swindle's take on the supremacy of Jesus through Hebrews, says this, Hebrews pitches Jesus as better than angels, as bringing better lives to humanity through salvation, as offering a better hope than the Mosaic law could promise, as a better sacrifice for our sins than a bull or a goat, as providing, better, as a providing, as providing a better inheritance in heaven for those who place their faith in him. Jesus is indeed superior to all others. So the first 12 chapters really digs into all of that depth. Great stuff. And then at the end of the letter, this writer, the unknown writer, adds some practicalities that recognize that the lived out life must reflect the theology of the first 12 chapters. Or in other words, there's no point just gushing theory if it can't be backed up by a life that's lived out in reality, with Jesus as supreme over all things. It's like the writer gets near to the end and he says, it's the one, the one that you claim as Lord, as being supreme over your life, that's the one that should actually shape your life and shape how you live. Jesus paved a, a way, a new way for us to be in community with God. We belong to him. So our lives should reflect that. Our lives should reflect who he is. Now, that's a big challenge, isn't it? It's not a small thing. That's a big, big challenge. And Hebrews 13 touches on a whole lot of things. And we're going to just um, stick to the three. Helps with my three-point sermon. But a whole lot of things. Love, hospitality, empathy, purity, faithfulness, warnings against the love of money, respect for those who have been called to lead. And there's some others. And that's all in the chapter 13. 
So as we unpack these first three verses, we do so remembering that our Lord is indeed supreme. So first point, love boldly. Hebrews 13.1 tells us, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. If we look at the closest translation of this verse, in literal sense, it says, brotherly love must continue. That's if we go right down in the Greek. The Greek word for brotherly love is philodelphia. It consists of two Greek words, philos, which is one of the three words uh, which broadly categorize, we say, love. We don't have three words for love, but the Greek, uh, the ancient Greek do. But this word phylos is a love between sort of a mutual deep affection for one another, a deep platonic love between friends. It's that close, close mateship. But this phylos is put together with the word adelphos, which is brother. So translated together, it gives us this real image of the brother who I love. A brotherly love. Now, we're not just talking about the love that my brother Scott and I share. Um, we have this love where he lives out in Melton. We live over here. We don't see him all the time. I don't speak to him all the time. But we get together and we share a few grunts and we know we love each other. <laughs> Mum, dad growing up probably would have thought differently. But there is still that sibling love. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not always just like that. Because the writer is suggesting in, in saying uh, Philadelphia here, we're considering it in the light of the family of God. Those who are grafted into the family through Jesus Christ. Earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews 2, chapter 11, we have, the, the writer tells us we become brothers and sisters with Christ. It says this, both the one who makes, this is Hebrews 2.11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The one who makes people holy and then us. We're of the same family. It keeps going. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We're all grafted into God's family. The writer is therefore calling this early church to a deepening and and, and continuing love to one another in this tight-knit community of Jesus' followers. Now, I said this was going to be talking about building bridges to community and thinking, well, this is all about the insula, about how, how the, the people of Christ are, are growing together. And I understand that that might be a bit confusing. But what the writer actually is setting down for us here is the foundation for how the community of God's people should be together. Before you go out and seek to serve and to show hospitality, before you can stand with those who are suffering, before you can, can uh, have a love for those who don't know Jesus, you've got to have a love for your own family. And when I say family, I mean your brothers and sisters in Christ. The early Christian movement was bonded in such a way that it was natural just to, to call one another brother or sister. It was their natural language, but it wasn't only their language. Their actions showed what it meant to be a brother or a sister. You are in Christ as I am in Christ, so I'll treat you in that way. The writer of Hebrews, in making an emphasis here, is, he says, keep it going. It must continue. You can't stop loving one another. Maybe he started to see little factions growing in the church. Or maybe he saw some people in the church that weren't treating others quite the same as he was treating some people. Whatever it was, his statement preceded any other practicality about how the church or how people in the church should act. Before he could build bridges, you had to solidify relationship. 
The deep principle here is if we can't love our brothers and sisters who together we are one in Christ, how are we going to love our neighbours? It's really important for the church today, not just KSBC, the church we here at KSBC, we're, we're a growing church, a church that is seeing new people come through the doors. Every week we want to be a welcoming place, a place where people can engage and enjoy being in worship, being together, being able to serve, being known and being needed, a place where we want to see people find a belonging but we also have a strong push looking beyond the, the walls of the church as well. If you've been to KSBC any longer than a week, you'll likely know that I have a real heart to see mission in the local context, to see every person being a missionary in their local context, getting to know your neighbours, hearing their stories, listening out for what God's doing in and around your community, connecting with local shopkeepers, befriending those who are standing in line with you at the post office, whatever it may be being Christ's hands and feet in the community. But if we don't let brotherly and sisterly love continue within this context, if we don't strengthen the bonds of Christian fellowship within, then what do we say to those outside? If the stories that come out of the church are stories of just hurt or pain or stories of rejection or infighting or gossip, what can we offer the community beyond these walls? The writer here is urging the body of Christ to come together, one body, not a jumble of arms and limbs and digits strewn all over the place, one body. Some of the most powerful times of ministry for me, um, especially when I was at Newport Baptist as a pastor there, was when we did Easter together as churches. Now, I'm not just talking the Baptist churches, I mean all the churches in the Hobson's Bay area. Um, there would have been 15, 16 churches that got together and we ran Easter, Easter Sunday services together. And it was wonderful. And it wasn't in a church. It was in the Altona Park, just in the park. We got the big stages set up. We did all the things. We ran a service and people would walk by and they'd stop and they'd look. But the number one thing that I heard from people, because we'd have a barbecue afterwards, so people would come and have some food and all that stuff. So the number one thing I heard from people wasn't about how great the service was or wasn't how, um, how they were touched by whatever was said in the service. It was, it's amazing to see how the churches are working together. It's amazing to see how the churches are working together. The love that the Christian community had across multiple denominations coming together for some joint worship time spoke volumes to the community. Before we can effectively build bridges to the community around us, outside, we need to make sure we've got relationships right on the inside. Now, that doesn't mean we always seem to see eye to eye. That doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean we all should think the same, because we obviously don't all think the same all the time. But if you're harboring a grudge with a fellow believer or you have a bitterness in your heart towards someone in your faith community, you need to do something about it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it seep into a, a bitterness. You know, the stuff that sits in your belly? Don't let that happen. It's not easy, but I encourage you. It will show not only the person that you need to speak to, but it shows the world that the church that they saw as irrelevant is starting to love in a different way. The world, it's always get on top, get on top, get on top. Jesus said, model servanthood, model humility, model forgiveness. Maybe there's something that you need to do this morning to help with that. Brotherly love 
must continue. Second point, welcome warmly. Did anyone see the musical Come From Afar? How good? Is it? it oh, is oh, sorry, Come From Away. Well, I've written Away. Why did I say Afar? Come From Away. Thank you. Did everyone see it more than once? Yeah, good on you. Yes, there's a few of you. I would have loved to. That's so good. I, I really enjoy it. It's probably one of, I think it's almost my favourite, but I say that as I come out of every musical. That's my favourite. So, yeah, it's just what it is. Anyway, um, if you don't, does anyone not have a clue what I'm talking about? Come from, from, yeah, from away? I was going to say come from far again. All right, let me tell you a little bit about it. It's a powerful musical that tells the story of what happened in a small town called Gander, which is in Newfoundland. Newfoundland's this little island sort of thing off Canada. Um, have you been there? Oh, bummer. I was going to hope. Maybe, maybe our Canadian would have been there, but no. Um, but anyway, um, this little town, uh, after the September 11 uh, uh, terrorist attacks um, in the United States, and US airspace was closed. So 38 planes were roaming around in the air with over, or nearly 7,000 passengers in them, and they were diverted to this little town called Gander, who's got an airport. It nearly doubled the population of Gander overnight. How incredible is that? The narrative, therefore, in this story is woven together through a series of small vignettes, I suppose, and, and, and the characters were based on real Gander... Ganderese? Ganderates? Ganderites? Yeah, Ganderites. <laughs> the residents from Gander. Who, um, and, and then they called these people that come in, so people from uh, outsiders, from the, they call them come from awayers. So that's where the term come from away came from. Um, and they were grounded there. And it highlights a whole lot of things about community. It's incredible. Uh, there's initial fear. There's initial confusion. What do we do? Followed by some unbelievably extraordinary acts of kindness, of generosity, of cross-cultural bonding that occurred. The townspeople of this little town, Gander, and the surrounding areas, they opened their homes, they opened their schools, their community gardens, they provided food, they provided shelter, they provided comfort for these stranded passengers. It transcended language, religion, nationalities. Come from away, it's this celebration of all the goodness that humanity can muster. It underscores the idea that even in the darkest of times... There can be light, hope, and community. Hebrews 13.2 uh, says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Do not forget it. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Come from away exemplifies that verse. That at the heart of humanity, goodness prevails. Showing hospitality to strangers is going beyond the ordinary action of kindness and running head first into the extraordinary. See, the ordinary action of kindness is, is we can show kindness to the people we like and the people we love. That's ordinary. It's not hard to grab a coffee with a mate or grab a few people together. I like you. I'm going to have a chat or whatever. It's nice to do it, but it's ordinary. To have to show hospitality to those you don't know or to those who don't look like you, or to those who might be difficult in your neighbourhood, or might seem like a threat to your peace, can be really difficult. The narrative we heard when I was a kid, and we still hear now, about strangers is stranger danger. Stranger danger. Be careful of strangers. Don't talk to strangers. And I can understand it when you're a kid and you look at someone and they're a stranger and you don't know who they are. Be wary of them. 
They're more likely to be bad than good was the narrative that we heard. Yet the Hebrew writer here is saying, show hospitality to the stranger. Now, I'm not saying if you've got kids, just go off and get them to talk to strangers all over the place. Don't hear that. Let's be wise. The people of Gander in 2001, they could very easily have just shut the doors and gone, this is too hard. Tensions are already quite high. America's just been attacked. We don't know who these people are. We don't know their intentions. They could come and ruin our small town. Yet they welcomed and they embraced. They gave up their beds. They made meals. They embraced the displaced. They made friendships that would last beyond that little bit of time. They may not really understand the impact they had on those 7,000-odd people who had nowhere to call home, yet they cared regardless. Hospitality is a divine virtue that mirrors God's welcome of us into his family. Just as you were welcomed, just as you are, we are to welcome others just as they are. It's not about just opening our homes to people. It's not all about that. But it's about opening our hearts to people. Seeing and recognizing the image of God in each and every person. What does that look like? What does it look like to show hospitality to strangers? You might have ideas coming to your mind already. That's great. But it might mean that I'm going to go seek to be the hands and feet of Christ when opportunities come forward. It means that I'm going to make it a part of my mission to welcome the stranger through the doors of the church. It means I'm not going to sit and judge someone based on their looks, the amount of tattoos they have or the places they have them, whether they dress differently, differently to me, whether they speak a different language or even worship a different God. Now, I'm not saying just open your house up to every, anyone. If you've got a spare bedroom, don't just go open slather, whoever's first in gets the best one. <laughs> don't, I'm not saying that. God might ask you to do that, sure. But there's ways that you can practice hospitality to strangers beyond that. Perhaps it's helping at a community, community meals program. Foothills uh, have a meals program on a Monday at Upway. I think it's a Wednesday at uh, Fentry Gully. I think that's where they do. They've got two a week. Perhaps you have never done anything like that. Maybe you want to start to think about how I can serve in a program like that. You might want to consider how you can bless the people that you see every day that you pass by but have never talked to. It might be a small act of kindness such as opening a door for someone. Chivalry's not dead. <laughs> Helping an elder across the street. Being willing to carry something for someone when you can see that they're struggling. Kyra, Jasper and I, we went out for a, a coffee after school um, the other day. We're at the Pines Shopping Centre and we we're sitting there wondering what we we're going to order. And, um, and this, this lady came up and started to, um, to order. And then she looked at me and said, oh, I'm so sorry I've pushed in. I said, no, you haven't pushed in. You go, we're just, we're, we're taking our time. We've got no time constraints. And this uh, lovely old lady, she... Um, she proceeded to take a long time to, to order her, her cappuccino and hedgehog. And, and we went in a rush, so it wasn't a bother to me, so I was quite happy. I was just sitting there and I was smiling and she was fumbling through her purse trying to get her money out. And I was like, oh, if it takes too much longer, I'm just going to tap it for you because uh, yeah, we do have to get home at some time tonight. And I just kept smiling at her 
And she, uh, she looked at me and smiled and said, I'm so sorry I'm taking too long. I said, no, no, you're not. You're doing great. And she goes, not bad for a 90-year-old, am I? I'm like, whoa, I thought she, I, didn't, I had no idea she was 90. Like, I, I would have tipped maybe 70. She was doing great. Like, she was out there. She was just loving life. And, and, and so I was able to then to just have a quick chat to her. She went down to sit down, and she, she wasn't able to take her hedgehog slice. So I just grabbed the hedgehog slice, I followed her along, and just placed it in front and said, I hope you enjoy that. Have a, have a great day. I'm not sure if she thought I was part of the management or something there, but I'm not sure. Maybe she did. But then the, the, the people at the, at the, um, in the shop, they're looking at me going, what are you doing? I was like, oh, just, she, just, she needed a little bit of help, just, just to help. And she really appreciated that little old lady. But the shopkeepers as well said, that doesn't happen very often. Thank you. Small things can make a big difference. Small act of kindness. We heard about the homework club. Helping the Zoe who are just learning a new culture. What a great way to serve. To be able to bridge build into community. Show hospitality in a different way. You might have other things going through your mind that you can think of. Uh, Has anyone still not got any power? Is anyone still without power? I know there was a, quite a few people that lost power. We, we sort of put it out on Facebook that the church is open for anyone that, if ever you are without power, if ever your freezer breaks down, we've got space for you to put your, your freezer stuff in. You know, we've got that space. Yeah, if we, don't, if we have power. Yeah, if we don't have power, we're at strife. We'll let you know. <laughs> generally, generally, we're the ones that doesn't get the power when, when the power goes out. But we had power, so we, we put it out there. So there are ways that we can just... It could even be your neighbours. It doesn't even need to be you. But you say, hey, listen, there's a freezer at church. Why don't you take your stuff down there? Just small ways. You might have other things that you can think of. Andrew and Heather Taylor come to mind who gave up nine months of their lives to live in a home in Kew and supervise the housing situation there. To show these people the love of Christ through their actions and through their prayers. What a wonderful way of showing hospitality. The writer of the Hebrew gives us a reason to show hospitality. He says, by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The reference here takes us back to uh, Genesis 18, where Abraham warmly welcomes three strangers to the great trees of memory. And without hesitation, he offers them water and rest and gets Sarah to provide a meal. And this act of hospitality is later shown to have been extended to the angels and the Lord. Jesus tells us a story about the sheep and the goats, and in it, um, in Matthew 25, and if you've never heard Keith Green sing the song about the sheep and the goats, get online and listen to it. Love it. So good. So good. A musical adaptation. Um, now, through the this, through this, through this story, Jesus talks about separating the sheep and the goats. And to the sheep, the righteous, he says this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the sheep look up and the righteous, they answer him, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we do that? I can't remember that. When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we do that? I can't remember. And when did we see you sick or in prison or go and go and visit you? I just don't remember doing that. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, 
you did for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We may not know what impact for the kingdom we're having when we show kindness, show hospitality, open our heart towards those that we don't know. We might never know. But as we do, as we feed those who are hungry, as we give drink to those who are thirsty, as we invite the stranger in or clothe them or visit the sick in the prisons, we do so for Jesus. What a massively powerful imagery of hospitality. We do it for the one who has already fed me. We do it for the one who has already clothed me, who has already come to me in my deep time of need. The people of Gander, that doesn't say they're Christian or anything like that, but the people of Gander, be like them. Be like the sheep. Practice hospitality because you don't know what impact you might have for the kingdom of God. The final thing is stand firmly. Hebrews 13.3 tells us, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Now these, these verses call us to profound empathy and solidarity with those who are suffering, urging those who believe to identify so closely with those who are affected that you're moved into some sort of action. It's a call to empathy. And empathy reflects the heart of Christ because he did the same for me. He took on my suffering, my sin, and it compels us into action, not just a sentiment. The command to remember goes beyond more acknowledgement. It's to, to think about and to empathize with the plight of those who are suffering, identifying with their experience. It's a call to, the, to come back to verse 1, to keep on loving one another. You know, in the, verse, in the first century, this verse has probably uh, have more of a challenge for them specifically to remember those fellows who have ended up in prison for their faith. That's probably where the, the writer probably looked at a little bit. The writer in Hebrews chapter 10 actually alludes to the, those standing alongside those in prison. It says this, Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly ex exposed to insult and, persecu and persecution. Other, other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. And, enjoy, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that so yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You suffered along with those in prison. The Hebrew writers already alluded to what they were doing. It was a reality for these people. They were not just getting some advice from some random people. They were people that they knew. They stood beside them. They continued to show brotherly love. I read this week that, that um, the prisoners in, time, in those times wouldn't be adequately looked after. They wouldn't get enough food or enough water. So friends and families would come by and feed the prisoners and sometimes even bribe the guards so they could stay there through the night. It was a tangible event for the people of the first century there. But if that's the case, how do we apply this verse to ourselves today? We live in a country where Christianity is not persecuted. As we said before, it's sort of shifted to the side. It's not a threat to the culture or the political landscape. It's sort of left on its own. We don't get chucked into prison. So to stand with those in prison because of their walk with Jesus is probably not a reality for us in Australia. However, we know that it is in other countries. 
Open Doors, if you've never come across them, have a look, Google them. Uh, they support the, the persecuted church. They have a top 50 list of dangerous places to be a Christian. Can anyone guess what the top one is? Anyone willing to guess? Do I hear North Korea? Yes, you are right. North Korea. It is dangerous to be a Christian in North Korea. Being discovered as a Christian is, it is almost a death sentence. You're taken into camps. One person said this in North Korea, I might be the only Christian in North Korea. I hope that someday I can meet another follower of Jesus. Out of 26 million people in North Korea, it's estimated there's 400,000 Christians. That's a very small minority. Christians and who, who are found professing or even praying will be sent to labor camps. We can stand by these people in prayer. In the light of death, we can pray that they stand strong for Jesus. But I think these verses flow on from verse 1 and 2 beautifully as well. We've got to continue in love, show hospitality to strangers, and, and then stand with those who are in prison. Now, we think of, of imprisonment as being in jail behind bars. But there are those who walk in our community, maybe in our church, who are trapped by the choices that they've made. They can't break free from addictions, be it drugs or alcohol maybe pornography, whatever it might be. I wonder what it would look like for us to stand with those people, to stand behind them and beside them and champion them on. Pray for them. It might be people that are in this community today. Why don't we stand with one another that we may drive to be better people in faith. The last bit of this verse speaks loudly. Remember those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. See, deep empathy calls for those who are treated poorly, who are treated with disrespect, who are treated as less to remember them and to stand with them. There are people that in our communities that are struggling in domestic, domestic violence situations. There are people in our communities that are, are in, in areas which they can't get out of because of a lack of funds or money. There are people that are struggling because they've gone down a rabbit hole of drugs and they can't get out. Scriptures tell us to stand firmly beside them. Stand. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Stand firm in the faith. So you can stand firmly beside others. Be courageous. Be strong. Just as Joshua was, as he was, he was called to be strong as he led the Israelites into the promised land. But the next verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, takes us way back to the very beginning of the message. Do everything in Love. Do everything in love. Stand firm in love. Empathize in love. Call out poor behavior in love. Correct in love. So love boldly. Welcome warmly. Stand firmly. Building bridges to community will mean doing all of this. Helping community beyond our walls bring come a little bit closer to knowing Jesus. 
Love boldly. Get relationship with your brothers and sisters right. Welcome warmly. Uh, Seek opportunities to, to be Christ in your community. And stand firmly. Stand next to those who are struggling. Pray for those in other countries that are persecuted. Seek to be Christ to those who need help. Three ways this week you can practically build bridges to community. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks and praise that your scripture is so powerful, that we find a sense of belonging in you. But Lord, may we not just hold it on to us, hold on to it for ourselves. May others be able to see through our actions, through our words, through our prayers, that you are worth striving for. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet in the community. Help us to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.